Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we are headed as a church. Once again, thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Amen. Good morning, Hope Church. I don't know if you remember November 22nd, 2016, kind of a random Tuesday in Las Vegas, but it was the day that our city officially announced the name and logo of our new NHL expansion team. Right on. Some, Vol- some Golden Knights fans in the house. The Vegas Golden Knights were, were announced. Now, if we were honest, and maybe it's, I'm the only person in the room, but the day that that was announced, November 22nd, 2016, I wasn't clapping and cheering and getting excited. See, I'm from Las Vegas, and so I didn't know anything about the sport of hockey at all. Like, I didn't, I, I always wanted a professional sports team here, but I didn't necessarily think hockey would be the one that would get me. But we got announced that we were going to have an NHL expansion team called the Vegas Golden Knights. Now, I caught the wave, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but at first, nobody really thought anything, you know, special about the Golden Knights because they were an expansion team. And if you don't know what an expansion team is, it it is the league literally expanding, and and so they got to figure out a way to make the roster full. And so they take basically people that not all the other teams wanted to make these teams. So our coach was hired, and he has actually publicly fired the year before in a pretty public firing. He had to take his own cab to the airport. It was like a big deal, and he was named our head coach. And then we had a bunch of other people that were either later on in their career or maybe not doing all that their team wanted them to do, and so they joined the Vegas Golden Knights. And so we had this team of people from all these other teams that made up the Golden Knights, and nobody thought they were going to be good. We found an article this week, the name of the article is literally, wow, the Golden Knights are going to be bad. In the article it says, this team is going to be bad, potentially historically bad. They'll be bad for a few years. They won't even be enjoyable to watch once the novelty of the new uniforms wears off. Not unless you consider four to one losses enjoyable. Nobody had any hope. And again, they probably should have been bad. These are people that are from, they're, they're kind of the outcasts of other teams. The coach is the outcast, right? This is a team made up of, if you would say it, misfits. But here's the cool part about the Golden Knights is they were amazing. Like, we are all cheering over that logo, not because they like did terrible for the first season, but they went all the way to the Stanley Cup final. In case you're living under a rock, our team went all the way to the Stanley Cup final last year and they lost to the Capitals. Good job, Capitals, but nobody even cared about that. They were just so excited and blown away at this unexpected team from Las Vegas that went all the way to the big show their very first year. Nobody expected this to happen. They were record-breaking, defying the odds, crazy, best expansion team in history good. Everybody on this team, Ryan Reeves said this, everybody on this team has something to prove. We call ourselves the golden misfits for a reason. We all jumped on that bandwagon, right? The golden misfits, we loved it because we are doing a good job at proving everybody wrong. I grew up here in Las Vegas and I jumped on the bandwagon. I was a Golden Knights fan through and through and now we understand, man, this team is amazing and we are backing this team. It was great to see, but 
As great as the band of misfits was in Las Vegas, they made some waves in the sports world. Today, we start a new series that we've already talked about called Spiritual Misfits. And what we're doing in this series is we're looking at an even greater band of misfits that not only made waves in the area where they were from, but they made waves that would extend into eternity. That mis- those misfits are the church. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn it to the book of Ephesians. Last year, we started a series in, uh, in August, verse by verse through this New Testament book that Paul wrote to a church in the city of Ephesus called the Ephesians. And as a teaching team, as we got to this passage of scripture that we're going to read today, and we're going to continue to read the next several weeks in this series, Spiritual Misfits, that idea kind of rose to the surface. Man, this is such a ragtag group of people. And really, if you think about the church as a whole, that's really how God designed it. Right, Jesus was on this earth and he chose 12 people to be his disciples. And they're 12 people from all different kinds of walks of life. Not the cream of the crop, you would say. And Jesus had all these people following him. I mean, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people following him. And then something big happened. Jesus died and all the followers like scattered. In the book of Acts, we find 150 people in the upper room that believe that he didn't just die, but he rose again. And they were about what he had called them to. And 150 people were empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And all throughout the book of Acts, and now 2,000 years later, we are experiencing a wave called these spiritual misfits doing work for the kingdom of God. And it all started with a bunch of people that nobody expected much of. So Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing this letter to the book or to the church in Ephesus. So under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes what we are going to read in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Now what we're going to read is a really, really heavy passage of scripture. So try to follow along and we're going to piece this together throughout our morning. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 says this. Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. And he might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. Now, church is a great place to be honest and If I was honest with you this week, the first time I read that passage, I thought, what on earth is happening in this passage? In fact, I said we have a teaching team. We have five or six guys that meet on Tuesdays that kind of map out the preaching of Hope Church. And when we were reading this, like Pastor Travis said earlier, Pastor Vance was supposed to preach this. And so as we read that passage, I thought, thank God I don't have to teach those verses. (laughs) God's funny. So I get this passage on Wednesday and Thursday, and I'm going, okay, Lord, what on earth is Paul saying here? So if you think us pastors like read the Bible and everything just jumps out into three-point sermons, you're not right, okay? That's not how it works. We can read this and go, man, what is God saying here? And so what you have to understand about this passage is there is tons of history packed into what we just read. And so for the sake of simplicity today, we just want to look at each of these verses one by one and say, what is happening here? A kind of a running commentary. What is Paul trying to communicate to the Ephesians and to us? 
So to do that, I want to ask two questions that Paul is answering about these so-called misfits. Here's the first one. Why are they misfits? We started this series called Spiritual Misfits. Is that something we just, we want to come alongside the Golden Knights? Is that just something we threw out there? Or is there, is Paul saying, you know, these people are a ragtag group of people. They are misfits. We want to look at why they are. And to start, we'll look at verse 11. Paul starts verse 11 by saying, therefore. Now, if you've been to Hope any length of time, I've been here 11 years. I've heard this a lot, but it's really helped me read the Bible better. When you see the word therefore, whenever you're reading the Bible, you have to stop and look at what it's there for. When Vance first said that, I thought it was really cheesy, but it's changed the way I read the Bible. Because we can't jump into this really rich historical passage without stopping and saying, wait, wait, he's obviously continuing a point. So what did he just talk about? And in my humble opinion, he just talked about some of the best verses in all of God's word. Maybe this week in your God time, you just need to spend some time with Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Because in it, Paul unpacks some amazing truth. And I'll kind of give you the, the Scott Worthington translation. Paul says in Ephesians 2 that you and I were dead in our trespasses. He doesn't just call us dead. He says, you followed after the world. If the world wanted it, you wanted it. You were completely anti-God. Everything about your life didn't look like God. He was a real good motivational speaker, Paul was. And then in verse 4, the best two words in all of God's word, it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, but God, despite that, by his great love and mercy, he pursued you and he made you alive together with Christ. And then this is the banner over our lives as Christians. It says in verse 8, by grace you have been saved. Despite your deadness, despite your worldliness, by grace you have been saved. And it's, it's a gift. It's not something you did so that you wouldn't boast. And you are his workmanship, his masterpiece. That's what Paul says in these first 10 verses. And then he says in verse 11, therefore, remembering everything we just said, Therefore, remember. I love when the Bible tells us to remember. We should not be dwelling as a people on who we used to be before Christ. Oh, man, I was so bad. I was so wretched. But every once in a while, when we see the word remember, we should look back and look at what all that God's done in our life and remember where he has saved you from. John MacArthur said a great quote I found this week. It says, nothing inspires more gratitude in a saved sinner than a look back at the pit from which he came. And remembering my former state before Christ, it produces in me a gratitude and a humility. Man, God, you are so good that you would save me from what you saved me from. You are so good that you would call me your own, even though I didn't deserve it. Knowing what he saved me from produces in me an awe of his saving. Because if I'm honest, sometimes in my flesh, I start to think if I'm not careful, man, I'm getting pretty good at this thing. Like, I'm getting pretty good at this following Jesus thing. I, I got this Christian thing down. If I don't look back sometimes at the pit in which I came from, sometimes I won't remember what he has saved me from. And I'll start to think I'm pretty good. And not only will I start to think I'm pretty good, I'll start to look at other people who aren't doing so good. And I'll say, man, why can't you get it together? Because they're on a different path of sanctification and God is at work in their lives and he is changing them. But I can't look as if I'm better than them because I'm doing better. So every once in a while, I got to look back and remember, as Paul says to the Ephesians. In verse 11, he says, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Now, depending on your church experience or whether or not you've been in any kind of context like this or read a lot of the Old Testament, you just perked up and leaned in a little bit because you could have sworn I just said the word circumcision and you're confused. As I was. I mean, I'm just being honest with you. I've told you guys before, I did not grow up in church. And so when I first started reading the Bible and saw those words, I thought I flipped to a different book. I don't understand what's happening here. 
we have to pause because what we are entering into in, in these verses is thousands and thousands of years of history. We are reading, we are jumping into a narrative of thousands of years that go back all the way into the Old Testament. And so we don't have time because we've got a big game and some Super Bowl parties to go to in a few hours. We don't have time to look in detail of this history, but we need to get the Cliff Notes version so we understand what on earth Paul's talking about on this passage. Thousands of years ago, there was a man named Abraham. He was a normal guy. And, Jesus, and God sought this guy out. God chose this man. He told Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Abraham, I'm going to make your nation so great that there will be more people in your family than the stars in the sky or the, or the sand in the seashore. By the way, Abraham was a guy, 99 years old, didn't have one child. Talk about a misfit. And God said, I choose you. And not only are you going to have this massive, awesome family that I'm going to call my people, but through your family, Abraham, the Savior of the world will come. So historically, the Jewish people were God's chosen people. And I don't quite understand this next part, but God chose in his sovereignty to give them an outward sign that would separate them from the other people. And that outward sign in the Old Testament was circumcision. And so to make it as, as basic as possible, you had these people who were Jewish and, fought, and were part of Abraham's family and everybody who wasn't a part of it, if they did the 23andMe test on Ancestry.com, if it didn't lead to Abraham, they were called Gentiles. So if you've ever read that in the Bible, that is the distinction, Jews and Gentiles. So he says you are uncircumcision, so, by, called that by the so-called circumcision. I love this because Paul, you'll see here in just a few minutes, Paul is going somewhere with this. Because those have always been God's untouchable people. And Paul is going somewhere. He's going to explain that it was never about the outward flesh thing that the, that, the, that the Israelites did. It was never just about what you did on the outside. And Paul is going to get there in just a minute. Because the Jewish people, they would think, man, those people don't look like us. Those people don't have the outward sign. Those people aren't from our faith heritage, so they're out. And what Paul is going to say here in just a minute is they're not out because God has changed the game. So we have these two people, and it cannot be overstated how different these two groups of people are. We have some tension in our culture, but it cannot be overstated. When you talk about the Jews and the Gentiles, how culturally deep and racially tense these two groups of people were. The Gentiles were more than just outcasts as far as the Jews were concerned. The Gentiles were completely worthless. They would call them names. They would not let them near them. And because of that, the Gentiles hated the Jews, right? Because they are so culturally arrogant that they were God's chosen people. And so you had these groups of people that hated each other. One scholar I read this week noted that if a Gentile, in, in some Romeo and Juliet kind of story, if some Jewish boy or girl were to slip off and get married to an, a, a Gentile boy or girl, that they would actually hold a funeral for that Jewish boy or girl in their community because as far as they were concerned, they were dead because they went off with a Gentile. So Paul here turns his attention to the Gentiles in verse 12. And he uses three words to describe these Gentiles. We're going to go one by one on the screen. The first one he says is they were separated. They had no relationship with God. This is important because these are people that they, they, they had no knowledge of God. They had no knowledge of a Savior. He said you are separated from Christ. Second word he uses is excluded. They had no place among the family of God. He says there, you were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. What does that mean? They would have understood that language. They would have understood, hey, you don't have the passport, if you will. You don't belong to this nation. Why would they have understood that? Because you have to remember the city of Ephesus was the Roman capital of the province of Asia. 
And if you know anything about the ancient world, if you were part of a Roman capital, you had like some clout. You had a badge that said, we are Roman because we are in the city of Ephesus, the capital city of the province of Asia. So they understood this citizenship thing. When you say you are a Roman citizen, they would all raise their hand and say, we have that badge. We have that passport. So Paul here, not trying to be offensive, but just being factual, says, hey, remember, you are not a part of the commonwealth of Israel. You were excluded. The last phrase he uses, he said, you are strangers. They had no hope of the promises of God. Strangers to the covenants, he says in verse 12. Having no hope and without God in the world. You see, we read the Bible a lot of times in 2019 with the, with the you know, privilege of history. We understand from Genesis to Revelation, this book, we understand how it fits together. We understand how Jesus goes in the middle of it. But you have to understand we're reading the New Testament as it's being written right now. And so these, these Gentiles had no idea about this faithfulness of God. They had no idea about all the things that had happened in the past because they were Gentiles. So that wasn't passed down to them from their family. The Jewish people would have passed that down. In fact, if you read the Old Testament, I love this. When you read the Old Testament all throughout it, dozens and dozens of times, it'll say things like build an altar, have this feast, do this and do that. Why? So that the future generations will remember the faithfulness of God. And so we read that and we think that was everybody. That, that was not the Gentiles, right? If I was a Jewish boy or girl, I would have grown up hearing the stories that my great-grandmother used to tell my grandmother who told my mother who told me as she was tucking me into bed at night, hey, remember when our people were stuck between Pharaoh and the Red Sea and God parted it? Remember, God will always take care of you because our people have this history of God's faithfulness. Remember when our people marched around the city of Jericho seven times and at the end of it, we just started screaming and shouting and God in his grace made the walls of the city fall down and we were able to capture that land. Why? Because he's faithful and he'll always take care of you. A lot of times we think everyone had that privilege of knowing those. The Gentiles had no clue any of that had happened. They are completely, as this says, strangers to the covenants of promise. They had no expectation that God would work. Say, so why is this? We just dove into some history, right? A Cliff Notes version of history. Why is this historical context so important? Paul is setting here two extremely different groups of people. When he talks about Gentiles and Jews, there is a grand canyon of difference between these two groups of people because Paul, our boy Paul, is about to do some work here and he's about to change everything. There is a grand canyon difference between these two groups of people. They are misfits if we've ever seen one. So it leads us to our second question. How were these misfits united? How were these misfits united? It says in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus... You formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That word but in verse 13 is the same word Paul used in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 when he said, but God in his grace and mercy saved you. So he says, hey, what I just said is completely different than what I'm saying now. Here's how you were, strangers, aliens, excluded, separated from Christ, but now. It's as if he just said, hey, here's, this is who you were, and now this is who you are. And I love this because this doesn't just apply to Gentiles. Again, he is, he is working on something here that he's about to drop the theological mic, if you will, because he's about to say something to the Jewish people that is going to blow their minds. And he says it in four words. The four words, he says, you and I have been brought near. 
Those are four simple words, but really this is the reality for you and I as believers. This is the reality of the gospel. This is what this whole passage hangs on. You and I, by his grace, have been brought near. Because Paul has set up a pretty good case of our need for being brought near. All throughout Ephesians, he uses words like dead and separated and excluded. This is our condition as human beings. We are dead, separate, without hope, helpless. And everyone in the world understands that. You can go to any corner of the world today, and they may not call it sin. They may not call it rebellion against God, but they'll understand something's broken in the universe. And I love how Pastor David Choi last Sunday said it so eloquently. He said this. He said, all religions in the world are trying to figure out that brokenness, and so they are doing all they can by rites and rituals and religion, and they're trying to figure out how to get to this holy God. But only Christianity is the only one that goes, listen, we could never get to that God. Praise God, because if it, if, if it was up to us to get to God, we would be completely hopeless and helpless. So Christianity says, the gospel says, we can never get to God, so God came to get us. He chose to save us and to come and die for us. And we could never get to him, so he came and got to us. That's the difference. And so Paul here is saying that he has brought you near. And he says something very significant. He says, but now. We need to dwell on that. That's an awesome Greek word. If you didn't know, the, the New Testament was written in Greek. And so sometimes we miss things if we just read the English. You study this word now. The word now means at this exact moment, which is really cool. Because right now, we're talking about that now at this exact moment. And five minutes from now, it means you have been brought near at this exact moment. And 10 minutes from now, and 10 months from now, and 10 years from now, as a Jesus follower, you have been brought near. Why is that important? Because sometimes we like to live on spiritual mountaintops, right? Maybe it was a summer camp if you're a student. Maybe it was a VBS for all of us. Maybe it was last weekend. Like, Awaken was unbelievable. If you weren't here Monday night, like, Pastor Brian Larissa is just up here, like, dropping truth bombs, like, unbelievable, amazing stuff. And probably everybody walked out of the room that night going, man, I'm so near to God. But if we're honest, some of us on Tuesday morning, we forgot to read our Bibles, we thought, man, I'm not as near to God as I was last night. And I yelled at my kids or I got in a fight with my spouse or I did, man, I, I jumped into that sin that I struggle with. And so I'm not as near to God now. I love that Paul says, but now, believer, right in this exact moment. Here's what this is saying. This is talking about our position in Christ. Positionally in Christ, whether you're on the mountaintop or in the valley, God loves you exactly the same positionally in Christ. God can't love you any more than he does right now, no matter what right now looks like for you. Some of us need to just stop and think about that for a minute. Because you walked in and your now doesn't look too good. So when you hear that right now, at this exact moment in Christ, you are loved more than you will ever be. He can't love you any more. He can't love you any less than he does in this moment positionally. Sanctification, that's a big word for God making us look more and more like him every day. That is real, right? We, we struggle with things and we get over that struggle and God in his grace gives us and supplies the grace to get through that struggle. That's all real. But he doesn't love you anymore because of what you do or don't do. And the enemy is at you right now. Some of you, and that is exactly what you think. I prayed with a brother after the last service, and he said, even after hearing this message, because it's a human condition, he said, I got stuff in my life, and I want to be near to God. And I prayed the gospel over that brother. You are as near to God as you can get by his grace in his position that he has given you as a Jesus follower. Do we denounce sin? Do we fight sin in our lives? Absolutely. But you right now, Paul says to the Ephesians, at this exact moment, 
10 minutes from now, last night, no matter what you did or what you walked in, the struggles that you have, the ways you sometimes handle your parenting that you wish were better right now. One more thing about what he says about being drawn near that's just really, really impactful from the Greek. This word, he has brought you near, is in the passive tense. We talked about this here at Hope. This is a really, really cool tense. What this means when you're in the passive tense is that something was done to you. You are not the person doing the action. What does that mean? That means you and I did not bring ourselves near to God. Because if it was up to us to bring ourselves near to God, what would we do? We'd spend all of our time trying to make ourselves look real pretty. We'd go off to some spiritual retreat and we'd read our Bible and we'd do 21 more days of awakened prayers so we could get all of it together so we could say, hey, God, I'm ready to be brought near. Praise God, that's not the gospel. The gospel says you and I have been brought near. Aside from what we wanted and aside from what we could bring, he brought us near to himself. It's good news. How does he do all that? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, by grace through faith. So today you are near no matter what. Positionally in Christ, you have been brought near. The love of God does not change in your life based on what you do or do not do. This is a big deal for the people that would have read this letter. If I'm a Jewish person and I stumbled across this letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, I would have just had my mind blown because I have a person, I have a family that looks back millennia of people trying to do things to get in God's good graces, these rites and religious festivals and all this different stuff. And so Paul just said, hey, there's nothing you can do to get closer to God. It's already been done for you, Jewish person. And then he says, hey, Gentile, the person that's felt on the outside your whole life, the person that looked at all these religious people and their relationship with God and you wish you could have that, hey, there's nothing you can do, there's nothing you have to do to get in and look like them because he has come and brought you near without anything of your own at stake. You have been brought near, Gentile. I think that's important for us to camp out on for a minute because I find myself in both of those camps sometimes. You probably do too. There's times when I want to do things and make my life look a certain way, hoping that God will maybe love me a little more or God will. We would never say that out loud because it sounds so anti-gospel, and it is, but in my mind, I think that. Well, if I just parent like this this week or if I just do this this week, maybe I'll have, maybe I'll have some, some good grace as I walk into this situation. And others of us, sometimes we have that Gentile mindset where we think, man, I'm just not quite as good as those people. There's people literally that, that won't come to Hope Church because they think we're all perfect and holy, right? And we're going, you have no idea. But they literally, you probably talked to them, man, I can't go to church. Why? Because I'm not a church person. That's a Gentile mindset that, man, I have, to, I have to look a certain way to get into that building. I have to look a certain way to be close to God. And for the Gentiles in us, we have to go, hey, that is not what the gospel says. It says that you have been brought near. There's nothing, again, there's nothing you can do to look a certain way, to be a certain way that God will approve of. The church isn't made of perfect people. It's a bunch of misfits from all walks of life that come together under this idea that we have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. So Paul, he gives us, as we finish up today, two evidences of being brought near. As these verses continue, two evidences of being brought near. The first one is he made both groups into one. He says in verse 14, for he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. I love that he says there that he himself is our peace. It doesn't say that Jesus brings peace. 
It doesn't say that under the right circumstances, Jesus can create peace. It says there, Jesus, he himself is our peace. You talk about relevant. Because when I, when I threw out the, the Jew and Gentile divide, some of us thought, man, that's kind of how it is today, right? I mean, whether it's politically or racially or other things, socially, economically, we have some divides in our culture. And we want to try to bring a lot of politics into that or a lot of social constructs into that. But we as Jesus followers have to remember the only thing that brings peace is he himself, which is our peace. This is a gospel issue. So should we be involved in politics? Yes. Should we be involved in social contracts? Yes. But as Jesus followers who have been changed by the gospel, we have to remember this is a gospel issue for he himself is our peace. And he's going to start to dive down into that a little bit more. He says he broke down the barrier, the dividing wall. When we read that, we kind of have to imagine that. But the Gentiles didn't have to imagine that. The Gentiles would have immediately thought of the temple where there was literally a wall that the Jews had put up that said, if you're a Gentile, you are not welcome here. An actual wall was in their minds that they saw. Historians tell us on that wall was, was, was signs that basically said, hey, if you're a Gentile and if somehow you get the guts to hop this fence, you are writing your death certificate because you are not welcome in this place because you're a Gentile. So Paul here is blowing some people's minds because he's saying, hey, Christ, who is our peace, has, has, has broke down the dividing wall. Basically what Paul is doing, and we're going to see this played out in the series, he is making a very, very different distinction. He's saying in the, in the world you had Jews and Gentiles. There's a new distinction. There's a New Testament standard, and here's the standard. It's no longer Jew and Gentile. This, this is the question. Are you a Jesus follower or have you not met him yet? Those are the options. I don't ever walk up to somebody and say, hey, nice to meet you. My name's Scott, and uh, yeah, I, uh, I did the 23andMe thing, and I'm a Gentile. No, what I say is Jesus Christ has radically changed my life, and I have some friends that look very different than me. I have some people in Thailand, dear friends of mine. We have issues communicating about normal things, but the same spirit that's in them is in me as a Jesus follower, and we are together one people because of what Christ has done. We look different. We sound different. We have everything about us is different. Are you a Jesus follower or have you not met him yet? Those are the two groups of people in the world. The book of Colossians says this very succinctly. Paul writing to the Colossians says this in verse uh, 11 of chapter 3. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Like that's a lot of stuff he just laid out. Here's what he says. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. I love this because I could go downtown where that neighborhood looks very different than my neighborhood. I can go across the world where that culture looks very different than my culture. I can talk to my brother, Pastor Teddy, and we work together every single day. And we, our stories couldn't be more different. But here's the question. Hey, Teddy, do you love Jesus? Yeah, I love Jesus. I love Jesus too. Guess what? You're my people. We look very different, but you're my people. I go downtown to people that don't have what I have and, and maybe look different and maybe smell different and have a lot of different issues. But if I say, hey, do you love Jesus? Yeah, I love Jesus. Then you're my people. This church that Jesus established, he broke down the dividing wall. The spiritual misfits, every person who's, who's, who's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he has brought us near. That's one evidence. He says they have made both groups into one. Here's the second evidence. He says this, he abolished the hostility. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, that's an old school word that means hostility, that he himself might make the two into one new man. I love that the Bible doesn't say he, he hurt the hostility. 
that he really put a dent in that hostility, it says the word he abolished. What does that mean? It means to make powerless, i.e., there is no more hostility. There should be, as Jesus followers, no more hostility. And he says to make the two groups into one new man. Again, a very important word in the Greek language. That word new, when we hear the word new in our culture, what we think is an upgraded version of. So, for instance, if I, I have like the iPhone 10, I think. I don't even remember at this point. But if I come to you and you have the XS Max, which is the newest iPhone, I say, oh, man, you got the new iPhone. So cool. That's what we use the word new. But what this word in the Greek New Testament means is something completely brand new, never been on planet Earth, completely unprecedented. Okay, what does that mean? That means when Steve Jobs stood on the stage in California in 2007 and he said, I want to introduce to you the iPhone and everyone lost their minds because they had never seen anything like it. That's what Paul was saying Christ did in the cross. Is he made these completely different sets of people that should have no relationship with each other, that should be as far away from each other as possible at every moment of their lives. He has made in them not new versions of Jews and Gentiles, not updated versions that kind of like each other. No, he put together one new man that the world has never seen. And he did that for the sake of his glory. Why is that important for us? Because again, if we're honest, we in our flesh retreat back to what we know. And a lot of times we want to say, man, I love God. I love him and I, I follow Jesus. I've been saved. But then you start talking about your relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ, it gets a little sketchy sometimes. Because we have our preferences and we have our people. And I love that he just said he abolishes that wall of dividing. There is now one new man. There's not different tribes and different people within this thing. It is one new man. The gospel is a vertical gospel, meaning it is him saving me from my sin and buying me back. But it is also a horizontal gospel. We are for each other. And this is when it gets a little uncomfortable. This eliminates for us the option of saying we love God. But those kind of people, that group... That culture, they can go love Jesus over there and I'll come love Jesus over here and we'll kind of be okay with that. The gospel says that is not an option. That's what the Bible says. We understand this, right? Think about this in real life. If, if you, one of you guys was here and said, man, um, Scott, I would love for me and my wife to take you out next Friday night. I'd say, oh, that's great. I'm going to go talk to my wife, Candice. We'll see if we can get somebody to watch the kids and we can all go on a double date next Friday night. And imagine if you said, well, here's the thing. I've hung out with your wife a little bit, and I've seen her from a distance, and man, we really like you, Scott, but I, we're not really feeling your wife, and we don't really like her as much as we like you, so we would like to just go out with you. Right? Like, we all chuckle because we understand that's not going to go well for you. Like, we're not friends. <laughs> as clearly as I can be from God's word, the church is the bride of Christ. You cannot... I love God. I want to hang out with you, God. Let's go out next Friday night, but make sure you don't bring your wife because I don't like her as much. I have issues with the church. I have issues with your people. That's not preference. That's not you just working things out. That is inconsistent with the gospel that you say saves you. And Paul is saying here, again, when they would have heard this, it would have been so revolutionary. What do you mean, what do you mean a new people with the Jewish people? Our whole family has learned to hate and to stay away from them because of the tension. He's saying, yeah, he's created in you one new man. Second Corinthians says the same thing. And we love verse 17. We've all heard verse 17, but we're going to read into verse 18 as well, which makes it the horizontal gospel. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 
He is a new creature. Same word we just used. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things. That's that same word new have come. Now all things are from God who reconciled us to himself. That's vertical through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This eliminates for us the option of having our people that we do life with and we exclude these people because we don't really like how they do life. Does that mean you have to be friends with every person in the church? No, but that means you have to understand that when Christ reconciled us to himself, he also reconciled us to one another. The gospel is not just for you personally. It is for you personally, but it's also for us as a people. And a lot of times I'm guilty of it. I, I forget that. So how did he do this? It says in verse 16 as we close, the cross. Only by his death, only by his shed blood was he able to abolish the enmity, the hostility. He came to make us right with God and to make us right with one another. That is what Paul says. As, he, as we jump into this series that we're going to be in for several weeks, he says, hey, spiritual misfits, this is who you are now, one new man. And, I, and Christ is going to use you to unexpectedly change the world. Let's pray together this morning. God, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for not man's words, but what you say in your word. God, thank, thank you for how it pushes on us. God, I'm grateful that we can trust that we come to Hope Church and the word of God is preached even when it doesn't feel super good to us. And that's you working in our lives. So God, I, I pray right now as we pray for two services now, that you would in this response time, by your power, by your spirit, individually for every person in the room, just rest on the hearts and the people in this room. Rest on those hearts, Lord. What is it that they need to work through? What is it that they're processing? God, we don't want to just have another response time and sing a song and leave without being changed. So God, right now, I pray that you would do what you do. Speak to every person in the room. As I was processing all this this week, I, I just started jotting down some questions that I was wrestling with myself. And I thought, this is how I'll kind of lead the response time. I'll, the same questions I'm processing, I'm going to encourage our church just be, between them and God to process. The first question I wrestle with this, year, this, this week is, are you living like you have been made new? Are you living like you've been brought near? Again, we talked about it in the message, but a lot of times we... We feel really far away from God. Man, God doesn't love me as much as he did in this situation or in that situation or in this situation. Am I living like the gospel is true in my life today, right now? I am, by his grace, his child, perfect, spotless, blameless. Maybe you need to wrestle with God for a minute on whether or not you feel that way. Remind yourself of the gospel like I did our brother when we prayed last service. Remind yourself. There's nothing you did to get near to God. He brought you near and you're not going anywhere and neither is he. Second question I wrestle with, am I living like there's still a dividing wall between my brothers and sisters in Christ? Am I living like there's still distinction? Because we just read in Colossians, it's very clear, there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile, uncircumcised, circumcised, barbaric, free, slave. We are one in Christ and that's what matters. So for me, I wrestled, what are the walls? Sometimes I get the cement back out and I start building walls that aren't there. What are the walls that you are building? 
Remember, Christ abolished those walls. So who do you need to talk to? Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to have a conversation with? Last question is, maybe today for you is the day that you need to be brought near. We heard about it in, uh, in our video when we celebrated Stephen's baptism. He said, and then I love the line, he said, I didn't know why, but I asked my aunt about Jesus. I know why. Christ was bringing him near. He didn't just think of that on his own. In that moment, Christ was bringing him near. Maybe that's for you today. Maybe today is the day that God says, hey, stop running. I'm bringing you near. Say yes to my invitation of this grace, this gift. So in just a minute, we're going to have some pastors up here. They're already up here. And we, every week, we have a chance to respond to what God is doing. Maybe for you, you need to have a conversation. Man, I think I want to begin to follow Jesus. Praise God. It's the best thing you could ever do in your life because by it, everything in your life will change. That's what he does. So maybe today's the day you need to be saved. Today's the day you'll say, man, Super Bowl weekend of 2019 is the day that Christ brought me near. We would love to have a conversation with you and introduce you to some people that can help you follow Christ. Maybe for you, you got some burdens, some things going on. The altars are always open. Our pastors are here. It is such a joy for us as pastors to hear about what's going on in your lives and to pray for you. Our words are not magical, but it says in the word to bring your request to the pastor so we can pray for you, so we can lift you up to the Father that he would do immeasurably more in your life than you could ever imagine. It's so encouraging to be prayed over. So whatever's going on in your lives, come and be prayed over. We're going to sing. We're going to shout. We're going to pray. We're going to introduce people to Jesus. This time is a time for God to work and move and have his way. So Holy Spirit of God, we ask you to do that. We ask you to move and work right now. I thank you for your word. I thank you for a chance to respond to it. And I pray that people would do that right now as you lead them. We trust you. We love you and we praise you.